Morning, Axis Church. How we doing? All right, good. I don't know if you guys are picking up on the rest theme or not through the songs. That's where we're heading today. Uh, We've been talking about wholeness. We started a journey last week uh, that hopefully you've been entering into throughout the week. And uh, it's really an invitation in pursuit of wholeness. And so uh, we've been kind of bringing back those ancient practices, those ancient but not worn out practices of prayer and scripture reading. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the Sabbath. And so uh, if you have not joined up, um, which most of you have, we've seen an incredible response here and starting up in Middletown today, uh, we're going to have others opt in to be part of this journey together as we really lean into God. And so I'm excited about it. I'm excited about what uh, God is doing in our midst and what he's going to do, and uh, hopefully you're participating. It's not perfection that we're looking for, um, it's progress as we move uh, near to the heart of Jesus. And so uh, be joining in on that, be praying, be reading scripture, and uh, we, we've seen people taking advantage of the prayer wall, which is great. Um, some of you hopefully have practiced some Sabbath um, and found that refreshing, If not, I'm going to talk to you about that today and uh, hopefully kind of give you a bit of a framework here for what that could look like for you. And so uh, I'm excited about that and uh, excited to just join together um, as God does something uh, in our midst. And so uh, don't worry about the camera. He's hanging out with us today. And so appreciate him coming over from Whitewater uh, to shoot some footage today. So if you're wondering like, hey, why is that guy filming me? Don't worry about it. All right. Just act extra spiritual. All right. Uh, All right. So anybody recognize this symbol on the screen back here? Some of you live on that symbol on the screen back there, right? So you're like, man, I feel like I'm always on empty. Some of you are really crafty, and you have this way, if you share a vehicle, to make sure that it's on empty for the other person. I did this to my dad a lot growing up. I'd switch around cars, um, and just he, I, he didn't fall for it. I think he knew that he was, I was just waiting for him to fill them back up. Uh, some of you are good at that. Some of you looking at this symbol right now, you're stressed out just looking at it. You're like... I can't handle it, you know, I do not, like the first minute it pops on, you're going to the gas station, you're dealing with it, some of you see it as a challenge, you're like, how far can I go, like how, how much can I work this little light here, I see you light, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to push my luck, and uh, I, you can probably guess which group I'm in, and uh, I have pushed my luck a time or two, and I hate to say this out loud, I have never run out of gas, okay, Unlike some other people, I know I don't want to name any names, but like, for example, Stephen, um, that guy, I've ridden with him more than once when we've run out of gas. One time I was on crutches because I'd shattered my ankle, and I kept looking over. I'm like, that thing is, he's like, oh, it's broken, it's fine, it's, it's, we're good. Like, and I trusted him, and uh, that was right before he pushed the pedal all the way to the ground, and I realized we were no, no longer accelerating, and we were like, Eah. so we pulled off, and uh, we were on the side of the highway. I was on crutches, and so you probably figure who had to go get the gas, right? Uh, so I was like, well, I guess it's going to be you. We're not drawing straws for this one, so we had to go get gas. That was a fun experience, but some of you, um, you, you try your luck when it comes to that little gas light, and it used to be that that's all that you had, so it was kind of a guessing game. You'd be like, all right, when that thing drops down kind of in this range, I know that I'm pushing the red, but I've got more time. And my friends used to always tell me, I don't know if this is a real thing, but they'd be like, you still got the reserve tank. Like after the tank's gone, you got like five more. I think that's just something we made up to make ourselves feel better that there's like, I don't know, somebody that knows cars can tell me later if there's actually a reserve tank or if that's just made up. Seems made up to me. Um, But some of you live on the alleged reserve tank, right, when it comes to driving. Now, 
Obviously, we're not talking about driving today, and um, now they kind of have this new technology where you give the amount of miles to empty, so you don't have to guess anymore. It's like, and, and Jess and I have kind of had, she doesn't know it, but sort of an unspoken competition of who can get the closest without running out. She told me, the other side, I, I was down to like two miles to empty, you know, on the thing to tell me, and I'm like, I can beat that, you know, in my mind, and the other day I rolled into, just saying, I rolled into the gas station with one ticking down to zero, so um, in, in case you're wondering, in case you want to try to beat that challenge, but um, if you don't win, you end up on the side of the road, and you're later to wherever you thought that you were saving time getting to, right? Um, but when it comes to the topic today, and when it comes to really kind of our own journeys, our own life, our own pursuit of wholeness, my guess is that there's been a time or two in your life, that was like, my bad, I wasn't clicking the next slide, but that was really good. It was like, all right, let's go back. Let's see if we can do it. Oh, okay. But this is sort of where you have lived your life, right? Maybe for some of you, you come in here today and you literally have come in and you're like, that's, I mean, that dial is going off in my life. Like, I, I feel that I'm living on empty. Maybe for some of you, you have taken that journey a time or two in your life and you've sort of ignored that light in your life and it has caused you to break down or burn out or whatever it might be. Now, if that's you today, if you come in today and your gauge is closer to empty, um, I have a message for you. And I believe that the Bible has a message for you. Now, if you're running on full, you don't need me, you're doing great, uh, keep up the good work, right? Tell the rest of us what you're doing to stay on full. But I'd say that the majority of us probably operate more often than not in the empty category, um, whatever that might look like for us. And if that's you today, here's Jesus' message for you. He asks you this question. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Man, does that sound good. Does that sound good? And that is God's invitation to us. And so the question is, why don't more of us experience that? Why do more of us not operate on full rather than empty? And I want to lean into that idea a little bit today. And I think at some level, the reason we live in such a restless time and the reason that we have kind of become such restless people is that I think that we're restless because we rest less. You see what I did there? Like that? And I think that's true. I think for some of us, it's a lack of rest that has got us to this place of restlessness. But I also think that there's something to be said for how we rest. I think that for some of us, we just don't do it right. And let me just illustrate it this way. How many of you have come off of your weekend and you're like, I need another, I need a weekend from the weekend. Like I, I go into work, I'm already tired and it seems like this cycle just perpetuates week in and week out to where we just get more and more tired and we sort of just grind it out, right? How many of you go on a vacation, you come back, you're like, man, I need a vacation from the vacation. You know, I'm like more tired now than when we went on vacation. Like, I had to go back to work just so I can rest from that, you know. It's sort of like what it is traveling with young kids. I'm just saying, uh, but it's like, I need, a, and now I need another vacation, right? But we, I think in some ways, the, we've gotten off track in terms of what we're actually being invited into when the invitation from Jesus is to rest, so how can we embrace the kind of rest the Bible advocates for? And there are really two Hebrew words 
uh, for rest in the Old Testament. The first word, um, and, and by the way, I think we need to recapture both of these if we're going to experience wholeness. I think we have to do both of these two things to really rest in the way that the Bible calls us to rest. The first thing is this. The first word is this word Shabbat, uh, which generally gets translated into the English word, which is Sabbath. So what is Shabbat? What was the point of Shabbat? What was the purpose of Shabbat? And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But this word simply means to stop working, to stop working, to cease working. It's pretty straightforward, right? Shabbat is to stop. It's to cease. It's to stop working. Now, the other Hebrew word, and this is where I think that we get off track a little bit with this idea of Sabbath. The other Hebrew word for rest used in the Hebrew Scriptures is the word nuach. And that word nuach means to dwell or to settle. So what does it look like to both practice Shabbat and to nuach with God? Because I think that sometimes we stop doing things or we work, 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 and then we shoot into some way of escape that we stop doing the other thing, but we just escape to something else. And I think that we do the Shabbat part in some way, but I think what we fail to do often is to nuach with God, to actually dwell with, settle in with God. And God wants us to make our home with him, and until we make our home with God, we will never be full. We will never be whole. Until we learn the essence of Nuach and Shabbat, I don't think, I think we're just going to keep on this dangerous cycle, this dangerous rhythm of being worn out, burned out, and it's just a matter of time before everything boils over, and maybe you've been there. So let's talk about how do we avoid that? How do we, in pursuit of wholeness, experience all that God wants us to experience through Shabbat, through Nuach. And here's the first thing. This is what Sabbath is. Sabbath is pausing activity in pursuit of intimacy. It's pausing activity in pursuit of intimacy. Here specifically, now, I believe that there's an aspect of this that's pursuing intimacy with God and with others, but first and foremost, it's pursuing intimacy with God. And so it's not just pausing all of your activity, although it's at least that. It's not just an off day, although it's at least that. But some of us have what uh, uh, one um, uh, theologian had referred to as a secular Sabbath. It's basically just what everybody else does on their off day, right? And there's nothing wrong with those things inherently, but it's just an off day. And so are we doing a secular Sabbath or are we doing what it says here in Exodus 28 through 10, which is this, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work. Okay, got that. But the seventh day is a Sabbath, and then here's a small little phrase here that I think is important that we often miss, to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son, daughter, your male or female servant, your animals, any foreigner residing in your towns. It's very specific about how we are to stop, cease, all that we're to do so that we can have a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So Sabbath isn't just an off day, it's pausing for sure, but its purpose is the pursuit of God. It's a day that we set aside to the Lord your God. It's a, a day of devotion to Him and dedication to Him. It's really not meant to be, although potentially you get some things done around the house, odd jobs, whatever it might be. This is not meant to be a legalistic thing. You have to figure out what your Sabbath looks like, but the question is, are we actually intentionally pursuing God on that day? Are we pursuing God that day? It's going to look different for all of us, but worship should be the end goal. The question of whether or not I had a good Sabbath is, am I brimming with more affection for Jesus after this day or during this day than I am in any other day? That should be 
really the end goal is where we stir our affection for Jesus. John Mark Comer wrote a good book, and I, I, I reference it throughout, but one of the, I've referenced it before, um, but it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Great stuff on this topic. And he uses two filters for his Sabbath um, when he talks about the subject of Sabbath. He says he asks himself two things. Is it worship and is it rest? If not, he concludes then there's six other days of the week to do it. Is it worship and is it rest? Now, can I work out that day? Can I go for a run that day? Can't, well, is it worship and is it rest? Some of you running is not worship. You're, you're cursing through the whole thing. You're like, I'm not, this is not worship for me. I can't prescribe this for you, right? But is it worship? Is it rest? And if not, we, we save it for the other six days of the week. Isaiah 58, 13 through 14 says this, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight in the holy day of the Lord, and you keep the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own way or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, and then here's the outcome, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. Well, that sounds like a good result. To ride on the heights of the earth, that sounds a lot like what it means to be whole, to, to live free. And so what he's saying here is when we delight in the Lord, then we experience this result of riding upon the heights of the earth. And so the Sabbath is about pausing activity in pursuit of intimacy. The second thing is this, exchanging doing for simply being. Exchanging doing for simply being. Now, Exodus 34 uh, reiterates what was said in Exodus 20 within the Ten Commandments, and then it adds a qualifier. It says, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. And then the qualifier, in plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. It's almost like Moses anticipated the objection, right? Like he was like, hey, listen, like somebody's about to say, but what about during harvest season? Like, come on, Moses, we got to make hay while the sun shines. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is our busy season. This is the time when we don't have time for Sabbath. We got to lean in. We got to roll up our sleeves. We got to work, 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 work. And Moses anticipates that question. He specifically mentions here in plowing time and in harvest season, you shall rest. It's almost like he knew that we would have that specific time or that specific season or were that specific person that doesn't have any time to truly rest in him and we've all made the argument Moses I run a really important business I need to be available I need to be present I need to be there I'm a doctor my patients need me Moses what about during soccer season kids schedules are crazy like we'll get back on it after soccer season but during soccer season surely during the harvest season we can take a break from this Moses, I'm an accountant. It's tax season. There's no rest for the weary, right? Moses, I'm a pastor. I work on Sundays. I'm exempt, right? We can all make the arguments. We can all justify our way around it. And the truth is, it's not meant to be legalistic. It's actually meant to be a blessing for us. Jesus tells us, listen, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. In other words, it's for our good that God establishes these things. Even in the rigid way they're written in the Old Testament, he knew that we'd find our ways around it and we'd miss out of the blessing that comes from the Sabbath. It's not meant to be a burden. It's meant to be a blessing. But it's a blessing that we navigate around at all costs. We continue to work. We continue to push forward. We continue to progress. And so 
I think that, and it suggests to you that why did Moses say that? Well, because even in the harvest, it's especially, in the harvest is especially important. Rest is important. Not just even in the harvest, but especially in the harvest. Why? Because it's in that harvest season, right, when everything's happening, when we're busy, when we're caught in the middle of, that often what happens is that we start to build our significance and our identity upon our work. When things are going really well, when we're making progress, when we're making money, whatever it might be, that we have this tendency to forget, one, who's really carrying that out for us and making fruit happen in our lives. But number two, we have this way of building our identity upon these things that occupy our attention that we pursue. Or in the roles that we play, instead of finding our significance in our creator, in the fact that we're loved by God. And so God calls us to rest. He says, even in the harvest season, especially in the harvest season, you are to rest because that's not that's not all that you are. You're not just somebody that does something. You are a human being. Brennan Manning in Abba's Child writes this. He says, he talks about this executive that goes out to, to, to visit this monk out in the desert, this desert father, and he complains about his frustration in prayer, his, flaw, his flawed virtue, and his failed relationships. And so the hermit who lives out uh, off the grid listened closely to his visitor's rehearsal of the struggle and disappointments in trying to lead the Christian life. And then he goes into um, the dark recesses of his cave, and he comes out, and he's just holding a basin and a pitcher of water. And he just tells the man, he says, watch, as I pour the water into the basin. The water splashed on the bottom against the sides of the container. It was agitated and turbulent. At first, the stirred-up water swirled around the inside of the basin, then gradually it began to settle until finally... Small, fast ripples evolved into larger swells that oscillated back and forth. Eventually, the surface became so smooth that the visitor could see his face reflected in the placid water. Then the hermit replied, That is the way it is when you live constantly in the midst of others. You do not see yourself as you really are because of the confusion and the disturbance. You fail to recognize the divine presence in your life in the consciousness of your belovedness, slowly fades. If we are constantly doing, we have no space to tune into our being. Our identity then flows from what we do rather than who we are. One theologian said failure to recognize the value of being with God, merely being with God as the beloved without doing anything is to gouge the heart out of Christianity. Another philosopher, Eric Hoffer, writes this. He says that we're warned not to waste time, but we're brought up to waste our lives. It's something worth considering if we can't first and foremost just operate out of our being. Our doing will be devalued. Our value is not based on what we do. It's based on who we are as one created by God, loved by God. And when we're able to operate from that place, we have so much more to offer the world. And it's when we come from that space, and, and you've probably realized this as you've taken those off days or taken that time away that you've been really intentionate about. It's in those times often that God gives you a renewed perspective for the things that you are doing. As we aim to just simply be, God changes and, and sort of reinvigorates our, our doing. And so we need to take time each week exchanging doing for simply being. 
The next thing we need to do is, and the next thing that Sabbath is, Shabbat and Nuach, halting work to enter rest. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and he made it holy. So here in the Exodus command for the Sabbath, it actually refers back to what? The creation story. Hey, look back here. And he says that God blessed it and he set it apart. He made it holy. And so God sets the example for us. The other thing that we notice, and in Genesis 2-3 we read, so God blessed the seventh day, he made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Was God tired? Is that why he rested? God doesn't get tired. He's setting an example for us. He's modeling for us what it looks like to actually truly be human in the way that we were, to flourish as, as a human being. And so he demonstrates this. And the interesting thing is, if you think about the fact that man was made on the sixth day, and then the seventh day was a day of rest, the first day of humanity was what? It was a rest day. And so the first thing that human beings did was they rested, and that distinction is important. As one scholar said, God designed us in such a way that we thrive when we work from rest rather than working for rest. Working from rest rather than working for rest. Many of us just work ourselves into the ground and we work for that rest day. We're like, let me just get there. I'm going to work, 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 and then we're beat down and we step into our rest day. We got it all backwards. We're meant to work from a place of rest. That's why it's considered the first day of the week and not to say which day of the week it should be, what what day should be your day. Um, But getting to that place place where my work flows out of that place, not the other way around. This is the day when we practice Psalm 46.10, to be still and know that I am God. Those two things are inseparable. Stillness is, is inseparable from surrender. It is in stillness that we embrace surrender, that we build and bolster our trust in God. How do I know that my wife trusts my driving? She does she really does. She hasn't told me exactly, but I know that she trusts when I'm driving. How do I know this? Well, because within 10 minutes, if we're going on a road trip, her and everybody else in the car is like this. They're, they're out cold. Like, I'm like, that is the best compliment you could pay me as a driver. Like, it's also really rough if I don't have coffee. It's like everybody, I'm like looking around for somebody to talk to. Like, everybody's out, you know? But I'm like, this is how I know that they trust my driving because they're all asleep, you know? And so... Um, She's never said it, but she does. I'm telling you, she trusts, she trusts my driving. You know how somebody trusts your driving? Are they able to sleep in the car, or are they holding on to that handle the whole time? Or like, they don't trust you. You know, like, they're not just supporting their arm. If they're holding on to the handle, they don't trust you. If you notice, like, they're tense and they're holding on to their seat the whole time, you know, they're basically telling you, hey, I think I'd prefer to drive next time. That's, that's what they're telling you. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a control freak. I'm not, but I would rather drive. Okay, I'm just saying, like, I just, I'd rather be behind the wheel. And so there's a lot of people I ride with, and I'm just holding on, you know. And I'm, I'm checking, too. Like, you ever have somebody like this in the car? Like, they're checking to make sure nobody's coming, too. Like, I just want to, I'm double checking, you know. Like, they don't, trust, they don't trust your driving. Okay, I'm just telling you that. Some of you might need to work through that. But um, they don't. Um, but I think about this, and I think about this concept, because when it says to be still and know that he is God, If we can't be still, do we really know that he's God? I mean, if we can't really truly turn over the wheel for a day, 
and say and not feel like without me controlling my schedule, without me controlling my circumstances, without me controlling everything for that day that I have to drive, if I can't not do that for one day, if I'm too busy, too important to not do that for a day, do I really know that he's God? Or am I the one running the show? Am I the one controlling everything? If I can't let go for a single day, it's worth thinking about. And I truly believe that if we can't be still, then we can't embrace surrender. And so do you trust God? Do you believe that he is God? Do you know that he's God? Well, then be still. And watch that everything's going to be okay. That he's still in control and you need to know that. You need to experience that firsthand to take a day and be like, all right, everything didn't fall apart. Maybe it didn't go as smoothly as you wanted it to the first time. You're like, okay, everything didn't fall apart. I can take a break for a day. God's still running the universe. One of the perfect examples of this is, you know, that story um, where the disciples are completely freaking out because they, at least in their view, are about to die. I mean, it's a good time to freak out. They're in the middle of a windstorm in the Sea of Galilee, and these were notorious windstorms. Like, these waves would be just enormous, and the boat's getting tossed all over the place. And they're running around freaking out, like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And you know where Jesus was? He's taking a nap. Like, right in the middle, like, Jesus, could you wait to take a nap? I don't know, any other time. Like, we, do you see what's going on here? And he's down there, he's like, sleep. I, I, the, the waves are rocking him asleep, like, he's just... You know, and who had to pull the straw to wake Jesus up? You know, like, who's going to get him up? Because I'm, I'm leaving him alone. Like, you know, we can pull the straw, but one of you guys can get him, but I'm not getting him. And then somebody does finally go get him, and they're like, hey, uh, Jesus, um, we're about to die here, you know? And he, they, he comes out, and he's basically like, do you guys not trust me? Like, after all that we've been through together, like, you still don't trust me? Like, do you see how not worried I am? Like, I'm sleeping. Like, he's the guy in the boat that's sleeping. And he calms the storm, you know, and everything's sort of, Okay. <laughs> and even in that, Jesus demonstrates to us that, like, he's the one person taking a nap. He's the one person. If Jesus is worried, then you get worried. Like, if he's stressed out, now we're all stressed out, right? But he's not worried. Why? Because he understands that God is in control, that God is still sovereign. And when we can do that, when we can follow the model of Jesus, and, and part of the reason I tell you this story is because I think we should bring naps back. I'm just saying. Like, I think part of this, this whole 30 journey, you guys should actually take a nap on a Sunday. Just try it. It's crazy. Like, try taking a nap. It's really, really a good thing. It's a nice thing. Take a nap. You can rest for a little bit. It's okay. Everything's going to be okay. Now, if you have young kids, you might want somebody to watch them for a little bit, you know, because they really could destroy something or burn your house down. But aside from that, you can take a nap. You can rest. And I suggest that we do it. Yes, in the literal sense, but also in the spiritual sense. We have got to start practicing resting in Jesus, knowing that he is in control. When we stop striving, we're able to start trusting. So we need to stop work and enter rest. The last thing I'll say about Sabbath is it's this. It's resisting the status quo for living free. In the Exodus command for Sabbath, it points back to the creation story. In the Deuteronomy um, account of this, um, Moses is reiterating all that he said about the Sabbath. And then he points back to another story in Scripture, which is the Exodus story. 
So the one is back to the creation story. This one's back to the Exodus story. Now, it's subtle, but do you remember what happened in Exodus? This is that whole thing where Pharaoh was oppressing the people for 400 years. He was an evil, awful dude. He was... He was wearing them out under oppression. Um, he was a greedy dude. He was an evil dude. He had no problem killing anybody's kid, for example. Like, he's like, throw all the kids in the river. I mean, this is a really awful, evil dude. And this is the guy that they lived under the burden of. And it was all about acquiring power and material. And it was all about building and acquiring all these things. And so what God reminds them of in this, what Moses reminds them of, he says, hey, and it's in connection with the Sabbath. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Why does he connect those two? It's subtle but suggestive. He's saying, listen, you were once slaves to all that stuff. And so what Sabbath is, is it's a resistance of the status quo. It's a resistance of the things that everyone else is chasing after. Sabbath, as Walter Bugerman writes an entire book about, is an act of resistance. This has been one of the most transformative ideas for me when it comes to the Sabbath. So, so how do we approach it then? Well, it's a removal of some things. I think you have to decide what that is, but it's a removal of distractions. It's refusing to settle for the status quo. It's a determined defiance to not run at the pace the rest of the world runs at after the things that everyone else is chasing. That's what the Sabbath is. Remember, you're no longer slaves. And if that was true in that day, it's even more true in Christ that we have been freed from all of the bondage, all of the sin, all of the things that everyone else is getting trapped in. We have to lead the way out of those things. Sabbath was the day God's people remembered that they were not of the world. They were citizens of heaven. And so Sabbath was a buck to the system of bondage they were once enslaved to. John Mark Comer writes this in Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He says, under the Torah, all buying and selling was off limits for the Sabbath. This wasn't a legalistic rule from the old covenant that we are now free from. It was a life-giving practice from the way to break our addiction to the West Twin God's accomplishment and accumulation. The Sabbath is like a guerrilla warfare tactic. If you want to break free from the oppressive yoke of Egypt's taskmaster and its restless, relentless lust for more, Just take a day each week and stick it to the man. Don't buy, don't sell, don't shop, don't surf the web. Just put all that away and enjoy. Drink deeply from the well of ordinary life. Meal with friends, time with family, a walk along in the forest, afternoon tea. Above all, slow down long enough to enjoy life with God who offers everything that materialism promises but can never deliver on, namely contentment. Contentment. That's why Isaiah 30, 15 says this, In repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. Abraham Heschel, a Jewish philosopher, says this, Six days a week we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. Listen, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. It's for our good. It's for our freedom. It's a day to walk in freedom without having to be oppressed by the bondage of the world. It's really forecasting heaven is what it is. But one of the reasons I think we don't do it, I had this hunch, and I was thinking about this this morning. 
It's one of the reasons that I don't always do it. I think that we don't slow down. The reason that we don't slow down, the reason that we don't turn down the noise in our life, the reason we don't stop and really encounter God, is because we don't want to actually deal with our junk. We don't actually want to confront the stuff in our lives, the status quo kind of stuff, because we're comfortable with it. We don't want God to actually challenge us. We want the freedom on the other side, but we don't want to pay the price to get there. Sure, we want to be people who are free and whole, but do we want to pay the price? That of repentance. That that doesn't look around at everybody else's sin and junk and say, well, at least I'm not like the one that looks in the mirror and says, all right, God, tell me about me. What do I need to confront? And the Sabbath is that day that can be a bit uncomfortable in that way for us just to sit with God, let him speak to us about us. And I really think that's the answer. That is the thing we need to do. In repentance and rest, you will be saved. God is still delivering people in real ways. We've heard so many stories here at Access Church of that happening. It's continuing to happen. It's the reason why we're saying we're going to take a month just pursuing Jesus in a simple way through prayer and scripture and whatever else. But God is still delivering real people in real ways. As students at Asbury Seminary, actually, there was a chapel service this week uh, on a Wednesday that last time I checked still hasn't ended. The students just wouldn't leave. They continued to worship. They continued to gather around each other. They, I mean, we're talking about Generation Z. For some, some of you guys are like, man, kids these days. Kids these days. You can see a lot of adults in that room, too, that are like, man, we want to get in on this, too. And so since Wednesday, there's been this nonstop worship service where people have been falling down before the Lord, confessing their sins to one another, praying over each other. People, there's been a line of cars outside of a small little town, Wilmore, uh, Kentucky, where they said it's like the field of dreams. There's like a line of cars, like just trying to get into town to like to, to, to crowd around in this auditorium. This wasn't a planned thing. Actually, it happened one other time back in like 1970, and they're like, I don't know. We don't know what happened. The Holy Spirit just descended on this place, and we've just, you know, people are being transformed. There's stories of students that are dealing with like, you know, addictions that they had and all kinds of other things. They're like, man, we just met with God in a way we never have before, and things are getting turned upside down. One student said it started in, in individual hearts, and now it's grown to be a community. The president of the university was pretty much speechless. He's like, it's difficult for me to describe what's happening here. Small little town in Wilmore, Kentucky, where some students started to pray for renewal, started to pray for revival, and then were willing to pay the price of repentance that it took. Now, here's the deal. Here's where I tell you, why I tell you that story. You don't need to drive down to Asbury, although if you want to, go ahead. There's great videos and live streams of it happening, too, now, and uh, it's all out there. Um, but you don't need to drive down to Asbury. You don't need to be part of a worship service at all to experience revival. All you need to do is come before the Lord in repentance. To say, God, I'm done striving. I'm done trying. I want to rest in you. And that invitation is inv- available to each and every one of you, maybe for the first time, maybe just again. And I'm going to hang out back by the prayer area today, which I'm loving just some of the stuff that's going up there. One uh, kid wrote on the board, although it's kid's handwriting. Sorry if it was you that wrote this. But it just said, break sin. Help us be kind. Break sin. Help us be kind. And I think that's really the beginning of revival. God, break sin. Break sin. Break me. God, break my heart for what breaks yours, that we might become truly whole. God, that is our prayer today. We thank you for the opportunity each week to gather. 
we see this time as sacred time each week. God, help us to protect it. Help us to guard the Sabbath, God, and, and keep it as a day that is blessed, a day that is holy, a day where we just reach out our arms and surrender and we receive from you. We're reminded of your love for us, God. We're reminded of the relationship that you offer us, that we just get out somewhere in solitude and walk with you, take a hike with you, continue to build relationship with you, God, where we gather around a table and just enjoy a meal together, God, where we build a puzzle, read a book, Go out and just enjoy your creation in some way, God, where we embrace the simple things of life, God, the things that you made us for. And so, God, help us to see the Sabbath as a gift, and I just look forward to hearing stories of people practicing it this month, and I pray that it would set a new precedent in people's lives, God, and a new posture, one of repentance. We thank you so much, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.